Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion, unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> A quick warning to your listeners. This story includes some very dark moments. If you prefer your horror stories on the lighter side, then I'll just say tread carefully. However, if you do choose to stick with us, brace yourselves because this story is, as my dad would say, an absolute belter. Today's story is Heart of a Bear, written by Benjamin Percy and narrated by Justin Fife. The bear did not know he was capable of love. This would come later. Now he knew only hunger from the bait oozing on his chops, and fear from his trap-ruined paw, and the sound of dogs baying behind him in close pursuit. Earlier, a five-gallon bucket of lard and honey mash had led him to a clearing. He had knocked it over and lapped at the thick discharge of it, until a steel-fanged trap arced out of the grass to swallow his front left paw. For an hour, he yanked at the trap and chewed at the chain that bolted it to the ground, whimpering, bleeding. He circled the trap's anchor, trying to find some way out of its orbit. But of course, there wasn't one. Then he heard the dogs. Night was falling. The sky was gray-ceilinged with clouds. The bear could smell snow, and the dogs could smell him. And their hungry yowling carried through the woods and compelled the bear to lurch back against the chain. With all his strength, he ripped and jerked and finally pulled free his paw. 
but not without great injury. His fur and pads and muscles unpeeling like a glove to reveal something thin-fingered and glisteningly red, what could have been mistaken for a hand. And now he was lumbering through the trees, knocking against them, unbalanced and half-mad with pain. The dogs were nearly upon him when he turned to face them. A swipe of his paw sent a hound spiraling into a tree, where it hit with an unholy yelp. Another he pulled into an embrace and crushed it until it dropped limply between his bowed and shaggy legs. Another still he caught in his jaws and gnashed. And then he snarled and lumbered in a circle and raked his claws across the frozen ground once, as if to strike a flame, before discovering he was alone. He huffed. A cloud of steam rose from his snout. Snow, the flakes as large as moths, began to fall. It muffled the men's voices, but the bear could still hear them shouting excitedly, moving towards him. He licked his injured paw and gave a low-throated moan, wanting nothing more than to collapse on a bed of pine needles, to rest deeply. But the men were coming, and he had no choice but to once again hobble forward. The sun sank behind the mountains, and the clouds appeared as dark and ridged as the walls of a cave. The snow thickened and caused his vision, already bad, to worsen. He did not know where to go. No matter which way he chose, he would not be able to last much longer. The wind rose then. Skeins of snow twisted and swirled and made him feel dizzy, adrift. A great horned owl floated silently through the woods, and the bear followed its vanishing shape. Flakes clung to his fur and to the branches of the pine trees he shambled past. When a window, an ice-glittered rectangle of light, burned out of the storm, he saw it almost as a doorway lit by the sun, the entrance to a better world. The house was a one-story ranch, and beneath its porch, one of the latticed sections had fallen over and was tangled with brown weeds and frosted with snow. The bear spotted the opening and dragged his body through it and found there a burrow among the rotting mulch and mouse pellets and bones and smoldering feathers of cat-killed birds. Through the night, the snow continued to fall, covering his tracks, and the wind continued to blow, carrying away his scent, and the bear chose this place then to convalesce. Weeks later, he woke to light streaming through the recessed window. He was still confused by sleep and felt as though he was deep in a lake and approaching the surface. He blinked several times, yawned widely, clacked his teeth and licked his chops. He felt an ache in his paw and held it out before him. It was gummed up with scabs that were melting into scar tissue. His mind took some time to process what had happened and where he was just as his eyes took some time to focus on what lay beyond the frosted glass. When he saw the people moving inside the house, carrying loads of laundry, exercising with dumbbells, he felt at first nothing but fear. Humans, after all, carried rifles and chainsaws. They owned trucks and dogs that growled. When they came to the forest, they left behind fires and candy wrappers and knife-scratched bones. But beneath the porch, surrounded by snowdrifts, the bear felt safe and exhausted and unhurried as he floated in and out of the slow time of hibernation and observed them. The man was built like an immense slab of stone, with no neck to speak of. 
his broad shoulders rounding out of his ears and his shovel of a jaw resting directly on his collar. The woman had a willowy build, and her feathery hair fluttered and seemed ready to take wing whenever she moved. They looked wrong together, even to the bear, like a flower caught in the roots of a gnarled tree. Despite this, they somehow seemed to nourish each other, laughing often, hugging and even chasing each other, tangling together on the floor. They had a baby, a girl. She had a round face and a black thatch of hair. Her milk-white skin, along with her arms and legs, creased over with fat. When she wasn't eating or napping, she was crawling about the house and shoving things into her mouth. Over the next few months, the bear felt something magical take over him as he watched them, first in the basement, later through their living room and bedroom and bathroom windows. They never closed the blinds. Woods surrounded the house, and they thought themselves unobserved. He watched them when they cooked dinner and exercised and made love and sat before the television. And as he watched, the bear could feel something inside him changing. For the first time, he was aware of more than simple, blind urges, hunger, shelter, sex, and began to turn inward. He really had no idea who he was, not yet, but hidden beneath the layers of fur and fat and muscle, there was someone, all right, a self. A light flared in the darkness inside him. He was like a cave that had not yet been explored. At night, he would crawl from under the porch and practice walking upright. At first, he wobbled and stumbled, but then he began to find his balance. A regular, plodding gait he thought respectable. He also tried to speak, with a guttural clumsiness, flopping his tongue, pinching his lips, trying to discover the noises he overheard them making. His heart always hurt when, at the end of the night, they shut off the lights, and in the dark windows he saw nothing but his own reflection. The husband worked as a handyman. He wore flannel shirts and blue jeans and canvas jackets. He drove a red pickup with toolboxes in its bed. He smelled like oil and lumber. He often came home with sawdust in his hair and grime beneath his fingernails. To his daughter, he made silly faces and spoke in a high, sing-songy voice that did not suit his size. Sometimes, he would come home from work and go to the living room and pull the coffee table off the rug before rolling it halfway over to reveal a certain off-color floorboard that he would pry up with a knife. Beneath, he kept a pistol and a shoebox full of money. He would add a few bills to it now and then. He called this their Hawaii Trust. Hawaii, the bear came to understand, was a kind of dream that was a long way off. And at the end of every day, when the man walked through the house and shut off all the lights, when the rooms collapsed into darkness, and for several minutes, the bear could still see a ghostly glimmering in his eyes, and then that, too, was gone, when there was only the black jawline of the forest. And above that, the night sky spattered with stars, whose meager light lit his way when he crawled to his burrow beneath the porch. He understood that their lives had become a kind of Hawaii to him. One day, after the winter's worth of snow had melted, after the sun had burned through the clouds and dried out the mud slime that coated the earth, the bear decided he would introduce himself to the woman. He had had a dream about her the night before. In it, she ran her hands through his fur and rubbed his belly and stared into his eyes. 
He waited for the man to climb into his pickup and rumble off to work. And then the bear crawled out from under the porch and punched the doorbell and heard its chime echo through the house. Heard her footsteps thudding toward him. And then the door opened and she was standing there in a t-shirt and pajama pants, a glass of milk in her hand. He had watched her so long that on some level, he felt she should already know him. He was about to tell her hello when she dropped the milk. It shattered on the tiles, a white starburst. A stream of it ran along the grouting towards the door, the bear. And for a moment, the woman stared down at it before she screamed and ran into the kitchen and yanked a cleaver from the butcher block. Her hair was pulled back in a ponytail that seemed to pull back her face with it, her eyes wide and teeth bared. He was close behind her, trying to calm her, telling her, No, 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 in his gruff, barking way. But she could not understand him, could not understand that he meant her no harm. And she slashed at him with the cleaver and opened up a gash on his outstretched arm. His anger overtook then, that old rage that guided him in the woods. For a moment, the pattering of blood was the only sound. Then he took in a big gulp of air and released a roar that knocked her back a step and filled her face with terror and thundered through the house and shook the pictures on the walls, the glasses in the cabinets. And then he ate her. He pleasured in the taste as she had betrayed and insulted him. He had come to believe he was like her and her rejection had spoiled that belief. A lunch pail sat forgotten on the counter. The bear noticed this when he rose from the floor and wiped his dripping maw with a dishcloth. He heard then an engine putter up the driveway. Tires chewed over gravel, boots clomped up the porch. When the man pushed through the half-open door and complained good-naturedly about his wife letting the flies in, the bear surprised him with a swing of the paw that broke his neck before he could even register the blood and viscera clopping the kitchen linoleum. The baby woke from her nap and began to wail. For a long time, the bear listened to the rise and fall of her crying. As if in response, a breeze came rushing in from the woods and pushed the door open farther, causing its hinges to creak and permitting sunlight to stretch across the floor and touch the cheek of the dead man. A fly landed on his eye and buzzed its wings. The bear took a step towards the door and then slowly toward the hallway. The baby continued to cry, blubbering now, big wet whimpers. He felt his temper softening. He had not meant for any of this to happen, and in his fury he had forgotten about the baby. Hearing her now brought a sore feeling to his chest, a heaviness to his eyes. Her crying became the only thing, a presence that threw its arms around him and dragged him down the hall to the bedroom with pink walls and the white wooden crib in which stood shaking the bars, howling, the baby. The bear filled up the doorway. He had to duck his head to step through it. His paw prints carried blood in them, and the floorboards creaked beneath his weight. When the baby spotted him, she immediately stopped crying. She rubbed one eye, snot hung off the end of her nose. Her chin quivered. The bear was close to her now. He could reach out and snatch her with his paw if he wanted. He wondered if she would begin to cry again, and what that would mean, and what he would have to do. Instead, her cheeks bunched up in a smile, and she said, 
His paw, without pads and fur, had healed into something quite flexible. He could pick up stones and toss them. He could turn a doorknob. He could pull open a bathroom cabinet and remove from it a razor and shaving cream. He could knob on the hot water. And he could, with care, shave the fur from his muzzle. He patted his face dry and studied his reflection in the mirror. This was the first time he had ever seen himself outside of a shadow darkening in their windows or a tremendous image reproduced in pond water. He tried twisting his face into different expressions. When he smiled, revealing a mouthful of sharp teeth and black gums, he realized how monstrous he must appear to humans. He compressed his lips and narrowed his eyes and puffed out his cheeks and thought he now looked at least a little presentable. The bear remembered the way the mother made the bottle, dumping in several spoonfuls of powder, shaking up with water, and he did the same now to feed the baby whenever she bawled. For his own hunger, he pulled food from the fridge and snacked on the body he had heaved into the basement. He set the baby in front of the television to keep her occupied, and she burbled and cooed at the images that played across the screen. He felt equally mesmerized. This was their routine over the next few days. He did not bother with diapers and clothes, and the floor grew slick with her waist, but neither of them minded. At night, he would stand over the baby while she slept, her round head catering the pillow, her eyes closed and trembling with dreams. Her chest would rise and fall with each breath, and to him it sounded like a breeze sighing through the cottonwoods, the very essence of peacefulness, as if she didn't have a care in the world. He wasn't sure, but he thought he might miss that feeling, a very animal feeling lost to him now. Then they ran out of baby food. The bear gave her everything he could find, cans of soda, a moldering orange, a stale bag of potato chips, the rind at the bottom of a bag of bread. She pushed them all away. He tried water from the tap, but this seemed not to satisfy the baby, and her skin began to yellow, and the fat melted off her arms and legs. When she sobbed, her face went red, and tears raced down her cheeks, and her chest hitched, and the bear paced back and forth in a panic. Finally, after many fitful days, he went to the master bedroom, his bedroom now, and nudged open the closet. A pair of overalls barely fit around him. Over them, he pulled a canvas jacket, and though it would not zip, it fit snugly, ripping only a little at the seams. From a hook, he removed a hat and yanked it down over his ears. Then he went to the living room and rolled back the rug and found the place where the floorboards tipped and removed from it the shoebox stuffed with money, the gun he tossed aside. The bear tried to remember what he had learned from the television. He turned the key and pulled the gear shaft and stomped alternately on the brake and accelerator before figuring out how to trundle down the driveway and onto the highway. He huffed with excitement. His hand, not paw anymore, gripped the steering wheel tightly. Traffic rumbled around him. Pale faces stared at him from behind car windows. Semis downshifted, sounding like big animals out of breath. He recognized the Albertsons from the commercial that had cycled constantly during daytime soaps. The parking lot was too hot and the grocery store was too cold, and he rattled his cart up and down the narrow aisles feeling claustrophobic, disoriented by the competing smells, the abundance of food stacked everywhere, 
the fluorescent lights glaring above and reflecting off the white tile below. He began to grab everything he saw, dragging his paw along the shelves and filling the cart to capacity. Then he realized he had forgotten what he had come for and bombed up and down the aisles, the labels streaking by, until at last he found the containers of formula with the blonde teddy bear on them. He balanced several of them on top of the pile of groceries already collected. At the register stood a thin-necked man with a spider tattoo on his forearm. He was staring at the bear. All around him, people were staring. Everyone in the store, he suddenly realized, was motionless, their eyes fixed on him. No one said a thing. Muzak played from the sound system. In a panic, the bear shoved the shoebox full of money at the man and raced his cart out the door, leaving a litter of potatoes and hamburger and canned corn behind. He had passed a park on his way in and out of town, and a few days later he took the baby there because that was what fathers did on television. A few parents gossiped and played with their children, but when they saw the bear, they quietly gathered up their strollers and diaper bags and departed. He did not think they recognized him for what he was, not with his clothes and his upright posture. Couldn't they? Could they? But they knew him to be somehow abnormal, He was not one of them, and their recognition of this only made him hate and envy them all the more. The baby crawled through the grass and the sandbox and the bark dust and stopped occasionally to suck on a dandelion or throw a fistful of dirt. The bear watched the baby, watched her slobbering and babbling and eating everything within her reach, naked and sitting happily in a pool of her own excrement. And the sight of it, reminded him of his time in the forest, when things were simpler, mindlessly pleasurable, his tongue and his nose telling him where to go and what to do. He felt an ache inside him and wanted very badly to get down on all fours alongside the baby and paw at the dirt and lick up the uncovered worms or tear at a tree and breathe deeply of its resin. Then a woman on a bicycle went rolling by and he nodded to her and straightened his posture and said, Good day! in a voice louder than he intended. At home, the bear and the baby would sit on the couch, and the light of the television would play over their bodies. They would watch game shows, talk shows, soap operas, police dramas, basketball games, the news. The bear would study people, the size of long-legged insects walking back and forth across the screen, and he would learn from them patterns of language and behavior. He wished he were like them. He wished he had a job and a family and friends that could have picnics with or ride boats or play basketball with. Somebody. But there was only the baby. He did the best he could with her. Sometimes he would try out a line of dialogue or mimic a hand gesture of an actor, and the baby would laugh and clap her fat little hands. He found a pack of Marlboros in the woman's purse and tried smoking them. The cigarettes kept his lips compressed, his teeth concealed, and the smoke seeping from his mouth formed a cloud that kept him half-hidden. Just one more bit of camouflage, along with the clothes and hats, to distract people from his hulking size. He wondered if he should apply for a job. He can imagine himself in an office somewhere, telling people what to do. One day, he watched a show on the Discovery Channel about a man who had been raised by wolves. There was a shot of him in a white room with too much light. His hair and his beard were long and knotted with mud and sticks. He was loping about on all fours. The camera zoomed in on his face to show his eyes wild and rolling and his mouth lost behind his beard. 
Then the man opened his mouth and howled a song the bear thought he vaguely recognized. They ran out of baby food again. The baby could be consoled only by sucking on her thumb, a taste of peace. The bear had no money, but he did have the gun. He waited for the sun to set before he drove again to the grocery store, because the television had taught him that robberies take place at night. He sat in the parking lot until it was nearly empty. Beyond the glass-fronted entrance, he could see the thin-necked man standing at the register, staring off into nothing. The pistol rested on the console. His long-fingered paw fit around its grip. It was as heavy as stone. He shoved into his coat pocket. The lamps buzzed above him as he stepped from the truck and shuffled through the parking lot, the sliding doors, and across the glowing expanse of the white tile to where the shopping carts were lined up. He yanked one away with a jangle. Before he started down the aisle, he chanced to look over his shoulder. The man at the cash register was watching the bear, his eyes and his mouth wide open. He knew where to go this time. Off the shelves, he swept containers of formula and jars of mashed peas and carrots and sweet potatoes. They crashed into the cart until it was full and dripping with the sticky contents of the containers that had burst open. He hurried toward the register where the man was waiting for him. The bear imagined taking a bite out of his long throat when the lump in the middle of it went up and down, and he asked, Is that some kind of costume? The bear did not say anything, but held up the pistol. The man knew what to do. He opened the register and filled a paper sack with money, and a stream of piss went dribbling down his leg, and the bear felt delight at the smell of it, at his power over the man. At this moment, there seemed to be no moral implications. To snatch money from the register was no different from clawing grubs from a log or honeycomb from a bee's nest. The only law of the forest was hunger and its satisfaction. In the parking lot, he heaved the cart into the back of the pickup and jumped into the cab and drove away at a reckless speed and lay on the horn for the music it made. Cars swerved off the road to avoid him. He could hear the groceries rattling around in the back. He was laughing, a fast pant that fogged the windshield so that he had to stick his head out the window to find his way home. Nights sprawled out on the king-size bed. He did not fall asleep right away, but stared at the ceiling. He couldn't stop thinking. There was too much going through his head. His mind felt like a springtime river, glutted with silt, half-rotted logs, winter-killed beaver. He wanted to thrust a paw into his mouth and to clean out his skull. He'd always felt that he followed the world, but now he had the strange and growing sense that the world followed him, as if there were a kind of axis to which it was bolted turning around and around him. Maybe this is what made his mind so exhaustedly busy. All the possibilities and expectations that came with the desire to control, the hunger for knowledge, the weight of responsibility, the crush of the human mind. The bear flipped through books. He dug through the drawers and cupboards and closets. He didn't know what he was looking for, not exactly. The artifacts of a life the things humans collected to find themselves. He was hungry not just for answers, but for questions. One evening, he was digging through boxes in the basement, sniffing at the Meldivy clothes and studying faded photo albums. There came from upstairs the sharp report of a pistol. It was like a tree snapping against a hard wind. 
the noise hurtled through the house and bottomed out into the dark echo that filled the bear with dread. And then nothing. A silence interrupted by a low muttering of the television. The bear did not want to go upstairs. He wanted to stay down in the basement forever. But something, a dreadful curiosity, drew him up. He climbed the stairs and shambled down the hallway that felt as long and dark as a stone canyon. In the living room, beyond the coffee table, but before the television, he found waiting for him the smoking pistol, and next to it, the baby. The skin was so light where it wasn't red. Its eyes were open, but unseeing. The bear picked it up. Yes, it. Sexless now in its death. And shook it. And licked it tried to revive it, but his body was as limp and mindless as a pillow, and soon he set it aside. For a long time he stared at the baby, as strong and seemingly unassailable as humans were as a population, they were individually nothing more than puny bodies that could be tossed around like dolls, crushed and torn into pieces, opened by a prick of metal. He felt the blood rushing through him like a river pressed up against an ice dam, then breaking through a messy, gushing release. He felt his breath come in and out in hoarse gasps. He felt himself for the first time in a long time as a body and not a mind. On television, a storm ripped apart the Florida coast. A weatherman stood in howling wind, pouring rain, and described the devastation. And then... The image went dark as the bear lifted the television over his head and hurled it across the room. A smoldering ruin of glass and wires and plastic. He opened up the coffee table, tore gouges in the couch from which white foam bulged like striations of fat. He knocked over the fridge with a crash that shook the floor. He bashed the faucet from the sink and water shot onto the ceiling where it flattened into a shimmering circle that rained down on him. He ripped pictures off the walls. He brought the pistol into his mouth and gnawed at it until his tooth broke. In this way, he went through every room, his throat ragged with screaming, his great shaggy arms slashing this way and that. And then, with nothing left to destroy, he shoved through the door, splintering it from the hinges. In the yard, he swung his arms at nothing. He wanted only to hurl the weight of his anger, to make bloody ribbons of the air. When that exhausted him, he fell onto all fours and clawed and chewed at the dirt as if to blame it for being a reminder of what form they would all, whether man or beast, stone or plant, return to eventually. And then he was done, utterly spent and alone. His tongue lolled as he breathed raggedly in the half-dark a muddy line of drool streaming from his mouth. From the forest came a sound of an owl hooting. Its low-noted voice sounded sad. Or maybe the bear was so sad that everything would seem that way to him, from the reddest sunset to a toad crushed into gravel by a tire. He looked back at the house. It looked too small to have ever contained him, and it seemed to shrink farther and farther away as he watched it now and understood that he was falling out of one life and into another. He held out his ruined hand towards the house, then let it fall. He would not resist the pull he felt. He followed his mandate and went crashing and yowling into the dark mouth of the forest to which he belonged. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Other Stories. Heart of a Bear was written by Benjamin Percy, narrated by Justin Fife, edited by Carl Hughes, and muted by Tim Kulig and Tom Robson. The sound effects provided by freesound.org. The episode illustration was provided by Luke Spooner of Carry On House. Quick thanks to our community managers, Joshua Boucher and Jasmine Arch, and to Joshua Boucher and Carolyn O'Brien for helping with our submission reading. And of course to Ben Errington for the ongoing explosion of content he fires out of his social media canon. Benjamin Percy is a novelist, comics writer and screenwriter. He writes Wolverine, X-Force and Ghost Rider for Marvel Comics. And his latest, The Sky Vault, releases in September of 2023. For more, head over to benjaminpercy.com. Justin Fife is a voice actor and podcaster. You can follow him on Twitter at Justin B. Fife. The Other Stories is a production of the Story Studio Hawk and Cleaver and is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. That means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means share the hell out of it. Until next time. 